an open letter to Jen and Millie listeners. Who knew that one look of confusion and one conversation between coworkers could spark so much meaning? We've been through so much together, from conversations around music and vacation to strength spotting and wrestling with the difficult seasons of life. Our time together has been simple, yet so profound. It has been everything we needed on the surface while simultaneously digging and mining for that which is buried deep. It has taught me so much about myself and the world around me. Listeners, your emails and engagement with our conversation, questions and action items have pushed me to show up to our episodes in a more authentic way each and every time. You know more than most that we are not perfect. We speak and we share about a life that's focused on strengths, seeing the good, and appreciating others' perspectives. This podcast has been a place of practicing these ideals, the place to hypothesize this different and asset-based way of navigating life and then putting that hypothesis to the test. It has also been the place of acceptance and grace when we do not live up to this ideal. But the secret to this kind of life is that we don't even know it exists unless we put ourselves out there, taking a step of bravery. A quote I know I've read before on this pod and I want to read again is from Teddy Roosevelt, often shared by Brene Brown, and it stands so true in this moment. It goes like this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. So listeners, I write to you today to share that I am taking my step of bravery further into the arena of life. I am stepping more deeply into my purpose, into my ikigai, and into my reason for being. And truly, I am able to do this because of you, because of the ways that you have practiced alongside of me, showing me that living life in my purpose, in my strengths, in my generational perspective, in my totally authentically awesome self is the greatest gift that I can give to the world. This August, I will be leaving teammates to begin my sociology PhD at Howard University in Washington, D.C., My life purpose lies in asking the hard questions and seeking the complex answers. My purpose lies in empowering individuals towards their own enlightenment. My purpose revolves around identifying the ways in which our social system disadvantages people and calling our society to correct those injustices. This purpose of mine, written into every cell of my body, dictates this next step in life for me. While this will be a drastic change in many ways, one thing remains constant, these conversations. They mean so much to us, and I know they mean a lot to many of you listeners. So while we will be in different time zones and different cities as we are now, but soon to be employed by different organizations and consistently virtual, most likely, there is one thing that remains the same. 
We are a Gen Xer and a millennial with a passion for sharing the strength-based perspective through which we see the world. And we thank you listeners from the bottom of our hearts for your support, encouragement, and positivity. Much love, Tess. Dear Allie, how do I put into words the difference that you have made in my life? You have, <laughs> you have called out my potential. You have spotted my strengths. You have blown on my sparks and you've turned them into flames. You recognize my purpose and my passion and you have never let me lose sight of it. You are my greatest advocate. You never let me stand, settle for standing on the edge of the arena. Instead, while many listeners have cheered me on as I've entered, you have grabbed my hand, after it was sanitized, of course, and walked in with me. You have entered it all with me, matching vulnerability with vulnerability and courageous step with courageous step. Even as life presented you with your own struggles, you encouraged me in mine. Your proud mom face, words of affirmation, and relentless strength spotting were fuel to the fire of my passion and my purpose. Our friendship has been one of the greatest teachers of the power of vulnerability and the true meaning of agape. Many things have changed over the course of the years, from video blogs to podcasting, short hair to long hair, no bangs to bangs and then back again, our Miracle Hills office pod to having to having to wave at each other across the open La Vista office space and to home offices in different states entirely. But what I love most about all of the change that we've gone through is the way that we have changed. We have grown, we have challenged each other, we have acknowledged our biases and assumptions. We've never shied away from making the attempt because the beauty is in the attempt. The beauty is in the practice. The beauty is in the arena. So thank you. I would not be here if it weren't for you. I am absolutely certain of that fact. I would not be able to make this announcement or even make this life decision were it not for you. And while I know there will be grief involved, as we know, that comes with all sorts of change, even the good change, I am so looking forward to how our friendship and this sacred space of conversation that we and our listeners have created together will evolve as I get to step into this next season. Much love, Tess. everyone. Welcome to episode 83 of Jen and Millie, where a Gen Xer and a millennial share the strength-based perspective through which they view the world. We are your hosts, Allison and Tess. I think sometimes in life to 
for me to not have words is so rare. Like, I'm just, I'm so in awe of your words that I don't feel like I have any. But I also, I wasn't expecting the second part. I wasn't. And you would murder me if I did that to you. I just want to point that out. Damn it. Like, you would kill me if I did not give you a heads up that I was going to do something. But, oh, it's all fine to surprise Allison. Actually, yeah, it always is. I love surprises. I do love surprises. But I wasn't, I wasn't expecting the, the second part. Um, I just wasn't. I, I am beaming proud of all the ways that you just think of your influence on this organization. Think of your influence and the ripples in communities and strengths 201 and lunch and learns and the way that you've taken strengths and made it your own, but also the way you've gifted it back to others. But I can't even, I don't even know that I can articulate the way that you've made me better as a coach, as a, as a leader, as a human, as a mom, as a, friend as a writer as a like I don't even know what to do with 90% of this technology but yet I've always been willing to try because you pull me and it's not take the hand and lead it's you yank my arm and say we're gonna do this I mean mm -hmm. I can't I don't know how to ever express the gift that you have given to teammates and to me, but the way that you are still going to honor that. And there's, there's such a beauty in the way that people will honor transitions. And I think Tess, you're doing this so well. You're an example to so many more people than you realize, but you are embracing a new adventure, but also honoring the ending of an adventure really well. And ritual and um, transition and shift of containers, those things can get all sticky and tricky and difficult. And you just are the epitome of learner. You are just the professor test is everywhere now. I just love that it's, it's so public. I've been holding on to this for so long. But I think part of that too is I knew this listeners for years, plural, but my willingness to accept it has not happened until probably just the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I probably do anything to get her to stay, but the selfishness of that is it's not me and it's not right, but it's also not me because like you're going on to change the world. Um, you've already changed ours and you're, you're going on to change the world. Um, I also want to state as I did in our 201 session that I've been calling you professor Tess. I don't even know when I created that, that email folder, but she would have these responses to, um, to someone's question. And I would, I put, I have a good communication folder and I would tuck, you know, professor Tess, amazing Tess into this little box where I could glean upon the wisdom. But also, I just knew, I just knew. So um, even though I've known the information for years and my heart knew it from the very beginning when you came on, um, 
I also test just want to acknowledge that strengths would not be what strengths is um, without you. And I remember you coming on and you were just mesmerized by the learning. And it wasn't because I was a great teacher. You were just so in the magic of strengths. And you and I have walked and shared that magic with others in a way that I hope has made a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wasn't ready for the second part. I, just, I still, I'm just going to need to get my brain around. Cause I, I don't think, yes, I, I know, but I don't know that I knew. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank you for walking through all this with me. Gosh, if you listen back and funny on the bangs, um, cause I was just like on contemplation about that the other day, cutting my hair again and maybe putting some bangs in not a good idea. And all I needed to do is go back to a video that reminds me also go back to our fashion choices. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's, there's some concern. There's some concern. Um, so Tess, this episode is dedicated to Tess's announcement. What I'd like to spend the rest of our time together is Tess, you sharing about the journey and the contemplation mm-hmm. and let's strength spot around Absolutely. the decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that would be a beautiful thing for our listeners to think about. You've taken a, a lifelong goal in, in evolving ways like that. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you didn't start at Creighton thinking this is the end result, mm-hmm. but I want you to think about or share about how those, how this decision evolved. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you guys, she just defended her dissertation on Friday. My thesis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is just like yeah. your thesis. Well, I mean, it's close to dissertation. It's close. Um, <laughs> she, this, mm-hmm. the amount of effort and energy while you've been doing other massive things Uh (laughs) is mind blowing to me. And I know that sometimes when we look back, when we're in it, we think, well, it's just what I got to do. But when you look back to us upon this time in your life, I think you're going to be absolutely in awe Mm -hmm. of how hard you were working. Yeah. So I want you to celebrate it. So share with, share with the listeners, um, a little bit of the journey to that journey. Okay. Well, yes, I think like Ali, like, yeah, like Ali said, I don't know. I did not find sociology and love that major and decide I was going to become a sociologist, right? Um, Like um, certified professor, researcher, like sociologist, right? I just loved it and was so really enraptured by it. I mean, I came to Creighton pre-health, pre-med because I was told that I was smart and could do anything by my parents and by the leaders in my life and by the authority figures in my life. And so in my middle-class suburban white background, if you're smart and you can do anything, you become a doctor. And so that's what I had set out to do. And when I got into studying, when I started taking chemistry and biology at Creighton, I was like, okay, I, this is fine, but I don't love it. Like there's not, it's not giving me life and I can learn it. I would be all right at it, but it doesn't seem like it seems like there's something missing. And so I went to take some political science classes and I contemplated pre-law because if you don't go to med school, you go to law school, right? Like that's my, once again, my (laughs) socialized world of being a 
middle-class white suburban child of um, <laughs> growing up in Minnesota is like law school or med school, which one, right? To be successful in the eyes of your parents. Um, and so I, yeah, I kind of contemplated that. And as I was taking some political science kind of pre-law classes, I took an anthropology course um, to fulfill a um, one of the core curriculum requirements at Creighton. And I loved it. I spent my free time reading my textbook because I loved it so much. Um, <laughs> it was like, I'm going to take a break from studying chemistry. Well, let me just read my anthropology book, which I loved. It was called A Mirror to Humanity was the name of the textbook, right? Like, how great is that? Not like Anthropology 111, Mirror to Humanity um, was the name of it. And um, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. And from there, found sociology and fell in love with the social sciences and knew that that seeing and recognizing human nature and the patterns and the systems and the the institutions the cultures that we create as a result of who we are as humans is absolutely fascinating to me um spend forever studying the intricacies of how we construct and build a society how we maintain what we've built um what kind of messages and rhetoric and policies and procedures reinforce what we have built and what are the ways that the building of that and the maintenance of that has disadvantaged people and what are some of the ways we can do to break down those disadvantages and so all of it I mean it's just so I I can't quite describe it's like all of the every single element of the experiential clues to talent came alive and I don't think I quite realized that until I started to learn about the language of strengths and talent and when I understood what optimal performance or flow was being a sense of timelessness and um, glimpses of excellence being able to perform really well with little preparation and little pressure or in lots of pressure and little preparation um, uh, rapid learning right that's another clue like just being able to pick up on it and then being able to turn around and teach it you know being able to turn around and share it with other people all of these things like I noticed there was something in this space of social science that was completely enrapturing for me and so um a lot of my research too is complemented and juxtaposed with my faith perspective and so in my undergrad I when I got into sociology, when I realized I, you know, I double majored with um, sociology and cultural anthropology. And so I have both kind of quantitative and qualitative emphasis of my kind of research background and um, really wanting to what about sociology, what about society most fascinates me. And for me, it's um, a lot of my own journey has been informed by my faith and my deconstruction of my faith of origin and my reconstruction of um, my own authentic faith and what I've claimed as my faith and how that is different yet still in conversation with my faith of origin and my family of origin and so I I think it's it's a huge part and a, such a formative part of my own journey that I was very intrigued about that for other people and so my undergrad research was the ways that social class indicators of an individual such as their income level and educational attainment inform their motivation for believing in Christianity in all different ways and then their practice of said Christianity and and how, you know, I found through that research, people that are in higher iteros of social class tend to have more external motivations and practices and people of a lower class have more internal motivations and practices for religion. And that was just kind of fascinating to see the ways in which we think and conceptualize faith as this independent thing, right? This divine being that's outside of us, but it really is 
highly influenced and correlated with our social factors. And so um, all of that is just fascinating for me. And so I categorize myself as a sociologist um, specializing in inequality and stratification along with social change and religion. And so that's what I'll be studying when I go to Howard. And um, But before I get there, what kind of uh, my next step when I decided to stay around Omaha and um, take this job at Teammates to really apply a lot of my social science research into a practical setting working for teammates, working for a mission and a cause that I love. I have been simultaneously working on my master's degree. Um, I initially went in to discern uh, more of a theological perspective on the same issues. And so um, really talking about the same things, right, about how do our social factors and our social context, how does that influence how we practice faith or why we're even motivated, what we even believe and why we're motivated to believe. And so some of those questions I was really wrestling with from a practical ministerial lens, and that led me to say, gosh, I really want to do this from a more clinical research perspective. So I did a little bit of applied ministry for a while, did an internship with my church and said, do I use my sociological brain in a ministry setting? And kind of through that came to the point of discernment of no, I am, I'm, I'm so wired for research that I, I think that my gifts and my talents, like from my faith, God can use to an even greater capacity through research because I know that not everyone, especially not a lot of people within the church are wired for that. And so that is really when I kind of discern and came to a point of now about two and a half years ago, deciding about three years ago, mostly um, deciding really that I was going to finish my master's um, and then hopefully begin a PhD program in sociology. So um, that is what I'm doing now. So yes, I defended my master's thesis on Friday before my committee. I have a couple of rounds of revisions to do, but it is almost ready for publication. So my master's thesis along the same lines of the conversation of faith and culture was called A Theology Built on Meritocracy, a theological and sociological examination of the prosperity gospel and the American dream. So I talked about the conflation of conversations around wealth and success in society compared to how it's preached and taught from a lecture, a lectern, um, a, a pulpit in megachurch culture and how they are very, very similar. And so my entire argument is the theology of wealth and money and success in many megachurches in America is more akin to the meritocracy and the idea that if you work hard and you have the right talent, you can achieve anything you want to rather than the gospel. And the meritocracy is a fallacy. The prosperity gospel is a is deemed heretical by many. And so I really just kind of entered into conversation around that. Um, once again, faith and culture and successfully defended my thesis and it will be published um, fairly soon in the coming couple of months. So yeah, that's where Tess. how I got to where I am <laughs> and where I'm going. <laughs> so part of the reason I wanted you to share a little bit about that is yeah. I want you to have this captured. I think we don't often share our stories and we, we, as humans maybe struggle to record them. And I think um, coming up actually tomorrow, I'm going to be leading a wild session on writing. And one of the pieces is around how there are different archetypes when we write. That's the letter that you, the open letter that you wrote to Jen and Millie listeners is an example of that. It's, it allows for a story to heal. It allows for us, um, alchemy, archaeology, it allows for holistic learning, but we don't do a good job capturing it. Mm. StoryCorps does this well. 
Um, when we think about our, our friend Buddy from South Dakota who does the fish stories, he does this well. But we aren't always willing to get in front of microphones and capture our story. And so one of the reasons I asked you to do that is I want it captured. I want you to be able to have this. But I also think you, and I want to talk about this from the, from the strengths perspective, but also generationally. I don't know that I know a lot of people in your, no, I'm going to stop right there. I don't know that I know a lot of people, period, that make a decision and stick to it for that kind of time frame. that set a goal and say, three years from now, I plan to fill in the blank. So I want to ask you when you think of that, what do you feel like has contributed when it comes to your strengths, but also do you feel like generationally you have a perspective on this that might be different from mine? I can't think right now, I, I'm not doing a very good job thinking a year ahead let alone three years. And I don't know that I ever have. And I wonder if that's just me as a person, if that's my strengths or, but anyway, I, I want you to reflect on that. So with your strengths and also generational perspective. Okay. That's really good. And I think, and I do just want to like name this because this is probably an oddity that I need to process through as well, but something like a far out goal and then sticking to it for the long term is a characteristic of futuristic and futuristic is 33 out of 34 on my list of strengths and so it doesn't come from a place of having high futuristic right and I think that's where like when you think about a big dream in the future and then orienting your life to achieve that taking steps to achieve that that would be a lot of a characteristic of what futuristic would look like or people might say it might be discipline, right? Sticking to it, having this plan, sticking to it. Well, that's 34 out of 34 for me. So those are my second to last and last. And so um, I think the reason that I have been able to really stick to it, and it, I think part of it is informed by my generational perspective, is that I and I know that I'm okay sharing with this even though they might listen, but my parents um, lived their whole life doing work that made ends meet. Doing work that they were skilled at but didn't love to do. There was a lot of, I can't believe it's Friday. I'm so glad it's Friday. Or I just need a day off. Or, oh, it's the evening, yay. Or, 17 years till I retire like there has been a countdown for when my mother is going to retire for at least the last 10 years of my life I've been hearing her countdown till retirement and I know I've shared a little bit of this before but I everything within me rebels against that everything within me knows how much time we spend on work and if you're doing it to get by if you're doing it to pay bills, right? And I know there are people that need to do that because of their situation, that that is the situation that they're in. And I recognize that I am in a place of extreme privilege to even be able to think like this, right? But for me, I know, and I knew a long time ago that I would spend so much of my life working. So it had to be something that was meaningful. It had to be something that was full of purpose. And it had to be something that I was absolutely in love with. And I found that 
in research. I found that in social science. I have found that in teaching and sharing about the impact of social science and the world around me with other people. And I've gotten glimpses of that through my job at Teammates, through my work with Strengths, through volunteer opportunities. And and so everything within me just calls out to this like I know it is a in my purpose kind of um (laughs) uh kind of line and I think that's what's been the driver and why I say that it's probably from a generational perspective is that a lot of Gallup's research on the state of the workplace and the changing workplace shows that people in my generation and younger are much more willing to take a pay cut to move to work for an organization or to move to work for a position that they love or that they would enjoy and move out of something that might pay more, but be at a company that they don't agree with or don't align with on mission and vision or in a position that they don't love to do. And so for me, that's always been it. For me, I, you know, I started knowing that I was going to make this shift of moving from a salaried position that pays pretty well to a PhD stipend from a university. I started working with a financial planner about three years ago. And the very first time I met with her, you know, she pulls out this like little icon sheet full of icons and there's like a little family, there's a little house, there's like a ring, there's a airplane, there's like a bunch of little babies. And it's like, what are your financial priorities, right? Would you like to buy a house? Would you like to get married? Would you like to, um, uh, have a, you know, have a family, um, all of these things. Right. And I'm like, update your form you know yeah update your form right (laughs) like at least have like more inclusive like depictions of what a family looks like you know would you like to have a pet like all of these things like it wasn't just like right right you know normal American dream kind of stuff right but like a lot of it was right right? but that's those are financial priorities for a lot of people right I want to buy a house right so all of your financial decisions are going to impact that well for me you know and one of them was like retirement right and so this is what prompted me to like try to explain all of this to her you know so I said the only things on that list that I would circle as a high priority the only thing singular is travel that's something I want to plan for and that's something I want to budget for everything else I don't really feel inclined to purchase a house I don't know that I really feel inclined to get married all of these other things and so she asked about retirement she's like don't you want to retire someday then you just get to travel all the time and I said no I said Deanna I want to love my job so much that I literally not even figuratively literally die in my office chair Mm -hmm. at a university (laughs) because I love to do it so much and I have that illustration because that actually happened with a professor in the department at Creighton that he worked till the day he died. He was still employed the day that he died. And he was very, very old. His name is Mr. Alt. And he taught GIS and social statistics. And he loved what he did so much that he worked the day the day that he died he was working and Mm -hmm. that for me is you know what I conceptualize to be when it comes to work right work has its purpose of paying bills of making ends meet of helping us navigate the world of giving a person social status right of helping make connections all of these things work work functions in this space of so many things but for me work must be aligned with passion and purpose and for me I want to love what I do so much that it doesn't even feel like work right yeah there are going to be things that are going to feel like work right with every job right but I want to love what I do so much that it doesn't even feel like a job it doesn't even feel like work most of the time and based on all of my reflection of every time I felt in flow, every time I've had rapid learning, every time I've had glimpses of excellence, all of these clues to talent, right? They all 
drive back, they all fall back on this one thing, my love of social science, my love of using research, using statistics, using data to identify the issues in the world and work to correct them. And so I know that this next step is what's right. And I was not joking in my letter that I would not be here. And if it weren't for listeners, if it weren't for this community, if it weren't for these intentional conversations of reflection, and if it weren't for you that that spotted this in me, that has been calling me Professor Tess, I know that I don't know when it started, but it was before I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Like you were truly, like you said, Joe one manifesting this out. And it was something I'd always had in the back of my head. Right. But the imposter syndrome, right. The gender bias, um, the, the fact that I'm a first generation PhD student, no one's ever done this in my entire family, both sides. Um, my mom has like she said my mom is a second cousin that got his phd and that's it in like my family tree you know there's no no grandparents no aunts and uncles no cousins um have have gone this far in education and so it's not something i grew up around knowing or thinking it was even possible right and so a lot of those things i had to overcome these life-limiting narratives that said that i wasn't good enough right and we practice this right like everything i'm talking about we've talked at some point on the podcast and that's why i say that this community and you are a lot of the reason that I can do this, that I feel confident doing this, that I feel the courage to step into this. And so for me, it was, you know, it was my generational perspective of wanting to love what I do and having that purpose and passion. But it also was you not even knowing it. This podcast was an accountability marker of every time we sat to talk about what a best possible life looks like. Every time we reckoned with life limiting narratives, every time we talked about strengths and spotted when we were in flow, right? Every episode we talk about something like that, right? And it was yet another reminder of my why and what I want to do in this world. And so it wasn't discipline. It wasn't futuristic. It was honestly accountability and community to have meaningful conversations, to be engaged with my own life and not let life pass me by. And to say, this is my passion and my purpose. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lean into that. And I'm going to say, this is what I want to do. This is where I'm going. And so I'm taking this step, however long and however much energy and effort it's going to take. And so I think for me, Tess, it's also aligned me in my purpose. This is what we ask everyone that's part of teammates to do mm-hmm. is to see the good, to encourage um, the authenticity, to show up and be in a trust building relationship. That's what we do. That's what we do. So I feel like I have been able to live in my purpose through these conversations, not with intent saying, gosh, I hope you go somewhere else because I will tell you that imagining imagining not working with you is really hard for me. Um, we talk about this sometimes when we talk about um, engagement in Gallup's Q12 um, engagement survey. And when I explain it, I talk about how when I would pull up to the Omaha office and I would see your car, I would already know before I even walked in the door that at least one person was going to see something that was right about me. At least one person was going to hear me and acknowledge me. At least one person was going to recognize my worth. And so before I even got in the door, I already, my level of engagement was higher because I saw your car. When I see a Teams message from you, when I see an email from you, when I'm, you know, 
looking forward to these conversations. That has affected my engagement, my productivity, my ability to show up and continue to do the good work that, that we're doing, but also it's affected my well-being and my hope. And when I think about all these great teachers that you and I have experienced and learned from, Jerlene and Melissa and, and Shane, and all of the things that we have learned from Micah and Jim and all of these great teachers at Gallup who've been doing this for a long time, but also all of this research that backs what they say, we have gotten to live it. And my hope would be is that we have been an example of it because to me, that's what a great leader does. A great leader doesn't look across the table and say, hey, Tess, you know, glad you're here. You're doing the best you can. And here's your ceiling and here's your limit. Mm -hmm. That to me is not great leadership. Great leaders see your potential, whether you're going to yeah. stay with your organization or not. or not. Great leaders see you are contributing to the overall morale and productivity of the entire team. If you're in these moments of flow, mm -hmm. if you're in your best self, if you are showing up and you're, you have the opportunity to be heard and seen. So all of these things that you are giving me credit for, and I do give the Jen and Millie space credit, but it's, it's been both, it, it's been reciprocal. Mm -hmm. There has not been one of these conversations that I've not listened back and thought, boy, there's a mirror that you better be looking in <laughs> and paying attention to because what you're saying is not what you're practicing. And of course, you know, I have two beautiful children who are my greatest mirrors who like to hold the mirror up and say, wow, mom, that's actually not, not what you say. What you do is not what you say. This space has helped me to grow exponentially, but it's also given me the opportunity to practice what we preach as an organization. Mm -hmm. We're, we're, we can't just say, Hey, it's all about trust and building trust. And we've got, we need to make sure that people are engaged. We have to live in it. Yeah. We have to do it. And we have to walk through some hard stuff sometimes and have those difficult conversations to do it. Mm -hmm. This space has created that. Yeah. Yeah. So Tess, I just, I am so glad that we recorded this. I'm so glad that we have this. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that we will continue to have this space. Mm -hmm. But I'm also glad for the professor Tess that you have been to all of us. Mm -hmm. I think your generation, yes is part of it, but look at what COVID has done mm -hmm. to so many people in all stretches of generations who are saying the same thing you are. I want to have purpose in my life. I want to, I don't want to see work as, mm -hmm. I, this is part of me and it's, it's more than part of me. It's most of me. Yeah. And don't I want to be connected to the mission, vision values? And don't I want to be connected to the why and don't I want to contribute to a, a bigger, greater world? I hope that you will share. Um, I'll share it in our, on our Pinterest board worth mentioning, but I hope you'll share in the, um, in the Instagram. In the Instagram. I did an Instagram live yesterday. I saw that. I saw it. I believe I that it. that is so one of great. the greatest accomplishments of, of 2021. Um, I hope you will share in the Instagram mirror to humanity the experiential clues to talent. I don't know that we've ever shared that with people. Oh, okay. um, so bizarre that you bring that up because I was just rereading that the other day yeah. and thinking, am I in this? Where am I right now? That's good. And yep. you know, that's almost a, that's a mirror. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's something that should go in a frame. Yeah. 
yep. to to come back to each and every day. Um, but I hope that you will share those those resources. Um, and I also hope that you will share one of your beautiful pictures mm. in your Howard gear. Um, shout out to the amazing photography of Alex, but I hope you will share one of those pictures yeah. um, also in well, our in our podcast notes. Jen and Millie listeners will get, and you're already getting these new this news before the general population is. <laughs> I mean, most of my people I people I'm connected with on social media don't yet know. I'll probably post pretty soon about about the decision, but a lot of people that I interact with on a regular basis know just because it's such a part of my life and has been pretty much all of my non-teammates non-thesis time has been focused on I mean my applications were due in November and December um, so by the time I actually start the program it'll been like a year that I a year prior that I had worked on applications right I heard back in the first week of March and made the decision pretty much then um, based on the offers I received back and um, yeah, so it's been, I mean, a huge part of my life for a long time, right? Before that, it was studying for the GRE. Before that, I was deciding which universities and which program are the best fit for me. It was before that, it was asking my mentor professors from Creighton and my master's program at ACU of like, if am I good enough for this? Will I fit? What do I need to look for when I look out and research universities, right? Like it's been... It took a lot to be able to share this today because there is so much work that goes into applying for this kind of academic posting um, because it really is, I mean, it'll be working for the university doing research and and doing um, graduate work and things like that. So it'll be, it's a drastic life change in a new city and a, um, yes, and leaving teammates, leaving Omaha, leaving the life I will have known for by the time I leave nine years. I turned 27 in January. So by the time I leave, I will have spent a third of my life and all of my adult life in Omaha. So I made the comment the other day to a friend that I feel I will always be a Minnesotan, right? I can't not be a Minnesotan, but I feel more of a Nebraskan than I do a Minnesotan because mm-hmm. I've lived all of my adult life here. So it's it will be very sad very very sad to leave and I am grateful I think that you acknowledged that I am closing it well that I am wrapping up well I am trying to wrap up well here knowing that I have so many deep deep roots here Um, and of course like when I leave it's not like I will (laughs) be foreign to Omaha so much of my community and my friends and I have some family here and teammates is here obviously so I won't be a stranger to Omaha but I am creating an Omaha bucket list and part of my way of celebrating my successful thesis defense was to do, Good. I knocked off three items of my thesis um, or of my um, Omaha bucket list this weekend um, in a celebration of a successful thesis defense. So there are some things I'm definitely trying to do knowing that it's coming. So so that's the other piece that I want our, this Jenna Millie community to do is to hold Tess accountable for celebrating well. Mm. And so we'll ask listeners to give suggestions for how you um, could celebrate well. Mm-hmm. I think that that has been something I've tasked you with repeatedly because yes. I know the weight of the responsibilities of everything right now mm-hmm. in the leaving. Yes. You are not going to leave in a huh, dust in my hands, I'm out of yeah. here. <laughs> you, that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. So I know the heaviness and the weight mm-hmm. of that and I want you to continue to celebrate well. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, as the Jen and Millie community listeners here, we need to hold you accountable to celebrating well. Mm-hmm. I appreciate so that. 
Yeah. That will be one of the things I'll ask you um, or ask our listeners to to give feedback on is what are some creative ways that tests can celebrate well? And it's not just, you know, go have a party or go out to dinner or go have a, a bottle of wine somewhere. It Be thoughtful about this. How do you celebrate in a really meaningful way mm-hmm. when you accomplish something like this, when you make a decision like this? How do you celebrate it? Whether that's, you know, quietly or in a a solitude way or whether that's in an external way. But I think we can all hold you to that because I know the weight that you're going to put on yourself Mm -hmm. to have everything neat and tidy here and neat and tidy doesn't happen. Mm -mm. It just doesn't. So Mm -hmm. I think we can we can balance that by encouraging you to celebrate Mm -hmm. well. And And I want to thank you so much, Tess for writing those letters and for sharing those letters in this space today. Yeah, yep. I'll probably share them when I post this episode. I can share the text of that in, a, in the Beautiful. episode. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for this community. Yes, I have been asking around as I have been telling people about my Omaha bucket list. I've been asking for suggestions or recommendations. And it's the, I guess I've called it the Omaha bucket list because that's where I live. But one of the things that I did this weekend was go to James Arthur Vineyard because I had a gift certificate for a wine tasting and it was a unique experience um but it was it was a it was fun to go to go try so very sweet wine not what I'm used to but Nebraska made so it was fun to try so that was definitely not like Omaha bucket list so I'm definitely up for traveling and kind of exploring the area a little bit if anyone has any good suggestions (laughs) all righty thank you thank you everybody for encouraging me for believing in me for supporting me through it all and like we like I said like we've reiterated um this the podcast will look a little bit different um in in the future but we're not planning on um doing anything to um to end our time together um to we will not stop our time together just because my um, official employment with teammates will stop um, we'll plan to continue these conversations in a in a new and in a different way moving forward so i think the action items for today is to keep me accountable to celebrating and um, to share anything that you would recommend I add to my Omaha area bucket list. I would also like to just put in a, um, a, uh, an action item for people because I don't want them, everyone to just respond about me, right? Um, but, and to respond to help keep me accountable, right? You're rolling your eyes and you're like, you can make it so because this whole episode is just your announcement. Yes. But, but for me, it, the whole reason I'm able to do this is because I've done the critical reflection. I've done the work of self, self-knowledge, understanding my own self-awareness, spotted my strengths, identified my clues to talent, things like that. And so I would encourage listeners that if you feel like you're in a stuck place, Obviously, it doesn't mean you have to move to a different city, change your life, and go to school, right? Um, quit your job, go back to school, <laughs> do whatever, right? Like, do all the things I'm doing, right? It does not mean that you have to do that, right? But it might mean um, just reflecting in a different way on where your life is at right now. What is giving you life? What is sucking life from you? What is making you stuck? And what are some of the ways that you can shift what your life looks like in order to get unstuck wherever you're at? And I don't know that I was in a Maybe those place, clues... But- yeah. Maybe the clues to talent clues to will talent. help to guide okay. some of that um, framework for listeners okay. to reflect. Great. Yeah, maybe I'll um, I'll write out the clues to talent questions, reflection questions for people to contemplate. 
So yeah, there you go. Reflect on the five clues to talent questions. I'll write those out and send those along. They're very, very good. I have students that are in the 201 group do those um, pretty early on when we're understanding the framework of what strengths is. And I think they're some of the best questions. I love how Allie, you share that in an elevator on an airplane, like you asked the question of what's something you've recently been really, you're recently proud of and what's a strength that helped you get there. If I am courageous enough to start engaging in a conversation or if I meet someone else that has high woo that they serve the conversation, <laughs> usually get to the point where I ask them one of the questions of a clue to talent. It's one of my favorite things. And my favorite question, and I know I shared it already in our conversation today, is what are you doing when you lose track of time? The idea mm-hmm. of timelessness. And that's an indicator of being in flow or um, total like performance excellence. Um, and so being in that stage is a really, really great indicator that you're doing something not only that you're really great at, but that you love because you're that engaged in the work that you just mm-hmm. lose all sense of time. So be a good question, along with the other questions to the Clues to Talent for people to reflect on. So I would love that. I would love to hear others, other people's reflections on some of those questions. If you'd send those back and then send any bucket list items or any ways that any ideas you have for how I can celebrate. All righty. So I will wrap us up here. Thanks everybody for tuning in to episode 83 of Jen and Millie. If you enjoyed today's conversation, consider sharing this episode with a friend. To interact with us and share the responses to the questions that we pose, give us a follow on Instagram at Jen and Millie. That's at G-E-N-N-A-N-D-M-I-L-L-I-E. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively that of Allison Horn and Tess Darman and may not reflect the t- views of Teammates Mentoring Program at large. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.